Hello, hello, and welcome back to DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and for this intro, I just wanted to do something that I don't normally do and just sort of issue a trigger warning for anybody that may be shocked or offended by topics such as bullying, sexual harassment, or fear and anxiety could potentially be triggered by some of the things that are talked about in this episode. So if that's you, I would encourage you to maybe sit this episode out. But if not, go ahead and settle yourself in for the next 30 minutes or so while we talk about Korn's self-titled debut, Korn. A friend of mine who's a school teacher posted online recently that she was surprised that her students listed new metal as one of their most listened to genres of music. And that got me thinking about how accessible music is now. Like you could just stream any music that you want anytime you want and it doesn't matter like when it came out or how cool it is or anything like that. I spent an embarrassing amount of time thinking about like why certain kinds of music don't age well or why exactly they go past their prime. And I actually thought it was kind of heartwarming that kids these days are given bands like Corn and Limp Biscuit a try, like an honest try in modern times. And they're just judging the music on its own merits. And that led me down a rabbit hole thinking about how much of my tastes in music and clothes and movies and video games and just really everything was heavily influenced by external factors. And a lot of the time those external factors had almost nothing to do with the actual merits of what I was enjoying. For example, I famously talked about how much I disliked Pantera because like a lot of redneck metal fans were into Pantera and listening to the band just reminded me of them. But I mean, Pantera in a vacuum is kind of fine to my ears. Still not my favorite band, but like it's it's fine. As far as clothes go, I mean, Hot Topic pants and Jinko jeans stopped being cool when everybody stopped wearing them. And even though they were some of the most comfortable pants I've ever worn in my life, like trust me, full range movement. Like these pants were essentially just a waistband and it's like you're wearing a dress under there and you could just walk in whatever direction you want without having to worry about ripping your pants. It's kind of like normal pants or a D-pad on a video game controller and Hot Topic pants are like an analog stick. One of the bands that I almost outright avoided due to external influence was Korn. And what's interesting about Korn is that by all accounts, I should have loved them. And years later, I really would come to love the music and the content of some of their songs. But when I first heard of Korn, they were just a band that, you know, kids who picked on me wore the t-shirt of. Like, imagine how surprised I was when I figured out that a lot of Korn songs were about being bullied. And it was kind of confusing, and it took me a long time to figure out how to separate the band from its fan base. It was actually my big sister who got me seriously listening to Korn. I'm sure if my parents knew that, they'd still be mad about it. But she went to college one summer, and when she came back, she used to just drive me around everywhere. And one of her favorite songs was Freak on a Leash, which was getting airplay on our local alternative rock station. 
And we listened to that and got the life pretty consistently. And at one point, I even waited by the radio and made a mixtape of all of her favorite songs. And I remember putting both of those songs on there. And at the time, I didn't even know that there was more than one Corn album. All the kids in my school listened to Follow the Leader, but eventually, once I'd warmed up to Corn, I wanted to hear more of their stuff. And I ended up scoring a copy of their self titled album on cassette at a garage sale. Back then, it didn't matter much to me that it was from 1994 because it was like really heavy, edgy, and my parents would have absolutely set it on fire if they had ever found it. And I actually still have that tape. I'll throw a picture of it up on Discord and maybe Instagram after this episode comes out. And this album's hard to talk about for a few reasons. The first reason is that I don't think this is Korn's finest work. And as much as this album is considered a classic by most of the fans, I find myself really only able to attach myself personally and emotionally to like just a few of the songs. And it sounds like a first album in like all of the good ways, but also in a lot of the bad ways. And the second reason is that the songs that I do attach to emotionally are so traumatizing that it usually takes me back to some really dark places where I'd rather not go. And I've actually been trying to do this episode for a long time, and I just haven't really been able to work up the guts to revisit some of this stuff. So in that spirit, instead of me telling one big overarching story on this episode, I'm just going to highlight the songs on the album that I relate to the most and maybe throw in a couple of mini stories along the way. Cool? Cool. So the album starts off with Blind, which is Korn's theme song, right? It's rare for a band as popular as Korn for the first song off their first album to still be in the set list to this very day. Like, go ahead and look on Spotify. I'll wait. This song's been streamed over 103,532,343 times. And that's including all the times I streamed it this week. And that song still slams in that, like, mid-90s sort of way. The guitar feels really dry and groovy. And there's this grit on Jonathan Davis's voice on this song that could actually fool you into thinking that this was just going to be like a straight groove metal album, which, I mean, it kind of is. Even though it's a really lyrically repetitive song that doesn't really seem to be talking about any one thing in particular, Blind is surprisingly effective at being about whatever you want it to be about, as long as you want it to be about a dark time in your life. And this is mine. As I've talked about on other episodes, I was raised in church since some of my earliest memories. And church wasn't so bad when I was a really young kid. We were basically like a normal American family, whatever, whatever that means. But for this episode's purposes, it means we attended church but didn't like shy away from the rest of the world. Now, that would come later on when my parents decided to switch to a church when I hit grade school that was kind of a hardcore Pentecostal church. And for more info on what kind of church that is, you can go listen to my Mortification Scrolls of the Megaloth episode from last season. No, the main issue with this church is that it was heavily based on fear and control. The church had super strict rules like not owning a TV, not listening to popular music, not engaging in popular media in general, 
and not really being, quote-unquote, a part of this world, as they called it. And so in the meantime, to enforce those kind of rules week after week in Sunday school, they would fill my head with all these visions of hell, death, fire, and violence. And this all started when I was less than 10 years old. And they would keep my parents on the edge of their seats up in, you know, grown-up church with just the fear of the future and what it was going to do to the kids. And so in a bid to stay on the good side of God, my parents brought that strictness home with them every week. And what this meant for me was that I had to be the kid at school who didn't grow his hair out in the 90s, couldn't have earrings, and had to wear the weirdest clothes. A kid who didn't know anything about the latest TV shows, the latest music, video games, books, and movies that my classmates would talk about endlessly every day. And this is mid to late 90s, so you can imagine how being that socially isolated would turn out. And initially, it was kind of just like not being included in anything, not getting picked for teams, not getting picked in groups. I would just stand there awkwardly a lot of the time with random groups of people. And developing close friendships with other kids was really hard because I couldn't find any common ground. Young relationships usually develop better when the kids have some base interest in common. And eventually, this not being included in things developed into being singled out by other kids and made fun of relentlessly. Everything about my personal appearance was criticized and exploited for laughs. My mom used to dress me up in these like gray sweatsuits. They were just like gray sweatpants and a gray long sleeve sweatshirt, which made me look a lot like the Pillsbury Doughboy. And it's funny now because when kids would call me that, I didn't even know what the Pillsbury Doughboy was. So the insults were bad enough, but like this soon turned into like physical bullying getting tripped in class and landing face first on the floor, getting my face pushed into the water fountain when I tried to get a drink, and some more horrific forms of bullying, which I'll get into a little bit later. Even though I didn't hear the song Blind until well after these events, it wastes zero time in taking me right back to that place. The opening line of this place inside my mind, a place I like to hide, you don't know the chances, what if I should die? takes me back there because at that time the only person who I really had in my corner was myself I used to just sit there and let my imagination run wild because I literally had nothing else to distract me from the banality of a life with no real outlet for that type of creativity and the what if I should die part of the song is like what I was afraid of at the time like I was afraid that at any time I could make a choice that could be wrong so like if I tried to be like the other kids, was that bad? Like was I gonna was I gonna go to hell? Not only was I gonna go to hell for acting like the other kids, but like was I gonna go to hell for even like fantasizing that I was like other kids? I just didn't have a real direction for what school was. It was literally like walking blindfolded and just running into painful obstacle after painful obstacle. So next up, Ball Tongue, I have to give a special shout out for because it's the first appearance of scatting on a corn record. And for reference, it sounds like this. Pretty cool, right? This song's hard to listen to because I can't stand that like weird high-pitched screech that plays through all the verses. It sounds like a ghost is on helium or something. And I used to have no problem with it, but this week it just annoyed the hell out of me when I was listening to it. 
and I have no idea what this song's about, probably because I'm not a meth user. Moving on to Clown. And what's funny about Clown is that I used to just skip this one all the time because there's a bunch of talking and shouting for like the first 45 seconds of the song. And for whatever reason, I always thought it was just like an outtake track. So I, I just assumed there was no song there and just moved on. But once I discovered that it was a real song, it became one of my favorites. And it's got a really, really strong groove like Blind does. And Jonathan's vocals switch from this like gruff, tough guy singing to his more patented or recognizable like whiny, nasally voice. And the song is about a guy who acts super tough who, spoilers, turns out to just be acting tough and isn't actually tough. And this song reminds me of this dude named Jeff. No, not Jeff from Discography Discussion, who I used to have gym class with in eighth grade. And from what I can gather is that Jeff had been held back by a year or two because I was on my last year of middle school and this dude was like 16. And he was physically more intimidating than even like our most athletic eighth graders. And Jeff was initially friendly to me and some of the weaker kids in the class. But this friendliness lasted about 20 minutes uh, into the first day that I had gym class. So many times we would play like basketball or volleyball or dodgeball in the gym. And he would just like run to where I was standing and would just straight up punch me in the top half of my arm, like really hard. And it would just make my whole arm go completely numb. And then he would scream dead arm at the top of his lungs and then run off. And he thought that shit was hilarious. He would do this like four or five times during our 30 minute gym class to the point where my arm was so bruised up that I wouldn't have been able to play any sports even if I'd wanted to. And in addition to this, he would call me names. His favorite name was actually the name of a song on this album that I'll talk about soon, but I'm not going to say the name of the song on the podcast. Just look at the track listing on the CD and you'll find it. He would always ask me really specific questions about movies and video games, and I wouldn't know the answer. And he would always say it was because my dad was a bum and my mom was a whore and that we were poor and probably just couldn't afford that stuff. Jeff was like a super classy dude. And the reason Clown reminds me so much of this dude is because when I was in eighth grade, I thought the dude was just mean. I never really took time out to figure out why he was so mean. And he wasn't the first kid to ever bully me, but in hindsight, his behavior seems very indicative of like a horrible home life. And to be honest, he probably had it worse off than I did. And maybe I was just the easy thing for him to take his anger out on. So he was probably not some evil, tough badass, but just another confused kid like me. I mean, it doesn't excuse it, but it explains it. He brutalized me so bad in the first few weeks that I even tried telling the gym coach what was going on, but the coach kind of just laughed it off like I was the one who couldn't take a joke. And I remember even lifting my shirt sleeve up and showing him the bruises all over my arms, and he just goes, yeah, I mean, if you take a few hits, you won't bruise anymore. Just got to thicken up that skin. Like, wow, 
Thanks, coach. I don't know, though. This particular gym coach was, like, really obsessed with dick jokes. When we'd play dodgeball in the gym, he'd always instruct us by saying, First, grab your balls. Then, play with your balls. Then, when you're done, rack your balls. So, yeah, like, I wasn't really ever going to get any sympathy from that kind of dude. What a fucking clown. Anyway, this next song. You know what song this is. You know what the word is. When I told the people on Discord that I was going to be talking about the Corn self-titled album, they instantly were like, dude, are you going to talk about that song? So here it is. This is probably the second most upsetting song on this record. And the most upsetting is Daddy for pretty obvious reasons. The lyrical content is shocking, to put it lightly. Like, if you're casually listening to this and this song comes on, it might be kind of jarring for you. But the thing that upsets me about it is that it isn't very shocking to me at all. It's a song about how cruel children can be to each other. It's a song about perception. See, in middle school and high school in the 90s, that was the word that got slung at you no matter what. If you were on another kid's radar at all, you were that word. No exceptions. And it could follow you literally for years. Jonathan Davis makes a pretty great point in the song where he says, I'm just a pretty boy, whatever you call it. You wouldn't know a real man if you saw it. And then later on he says, you don't know what the hell is up now anyway. And he's right. At the age these kinds of insults were being hurled at me, they were being hurled at me by kids who didn't really understand what sex was or what it means or how adult sexual relationships work. It was just a mean word you could say to somebody, basically consequence-free. For most of 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, other kids would only describe me as that word. It's who I was as far as everyone was concerned. It was my identity. In middle school and early high school, our gym class required us to have our own locker rooms. You know, the girls had a locker room, the boys had a locker room. And all the boys had to share the same room and change clothes in the same room. There was no, like, privacy for that. And I remember one specific incident where a group of guys were like watching me change and pointing and laughing at me. And they were literally laughing and pointing at my body and privates and making fun of me, like describing the shape and size and just cracking up. And it just, for whatever reason, it's not the first time that it ever happened, but this particular day I had had enough. And I was angry and I was embarrassed. And so I shot back at the biggest kid in the group You know, man, you seem to be the one obsessed with staring at other dudes' junk. I mean, I'm just saying. And uh, this pissed him right off, and he ended up punching me in the face. And then we went to the principal's office, and that day we both got suspended from school for fighting. Because the school said they had a zero-tolerance policy against fighting, which to them, I guess, means that even if you're sexually harassed and then assaulted, you still get punished. My dad was so mad that I got suspended for fighting that he made me cut the lawn with a pair of hedge clippers the next day. That's another thing, too. It's always a mixed message from parents. 
Like, you're told to stand up for yourself and not take shit from anyone else. But the second you do stand up for yourself, you get punished. Eventually, though, a kid from my neighborhood who witnessed the quote-unquote fight ended up taking pity on me and told my dad that another kid had just hit me and that I didn't even fight back. And after that, dad loosened up quite a bit and we kind of just hung out for the rest of my suspension. But I remember being of two minds about the whole thing. In a certain sense, it was almost better for my dad to think that I fought back versus him knowing that I just got hit and just started crying, right? But yeah, that song boils and boils with frustration. There's an interesting break in the middle of the song where Jonathan kind of goes off the chain and starts hurling back the same insults as his oppressors. Because the sad result of all of this is in the end, as kids, what happens to us impresses itself into us. And we repeat what's been done to us. It's just a defense mechanism. It's fucked up. And this song's a perfect snapshot of what it was like in public school in the mid-90s and late-90s. A very triggering time capsule that you probably don't want to open up. But as an artistic expression, though, it's a great song with an unfortunate title. And now we have shoots and ladders. And you know, it's funny. I just noticed when I was writing the script for this episode that on the album, that song is spelled shoots and ladders like S-H-O-O-T-S shoots versus C-H-U-T-E-S shoots, the way it's supposed to be spelled like the board game. But everybody loves this song because of the bagpipes and the messed up nursery rhymes. And I love the way the bagpipes build in the distance and get louder and louder and louder. And when the heavy riffs start coming in, it's actually one of the very few moments on this record that actually makes me smile and makes me feel good. And the gist of the song is to sing nursery rhymes in the most disturbing way possible. And I think they succeed in this pretty admirably. And this song reminds me of being in a suspended state of adolescence because I had two huge fears that impacted my mental state at that time. It was the fear of church and the fear of going to school. Church, it was a a looming fear every week, sometimes a couple times a week. But for school, it was every day. And so I found myself seeking refuge in the only safe places that I had available to me, which were my bedroom and my backyard. When I got home from school every day, I would, I would retreat to one of those two places, the only places I could go where I didn't have to deal with any of that stuff, any of that fear. And one of my favorite things to do was to color in these coloring books with markers. And I even had these huge stained glass window looking coloring sheets that I used to get at Walgreens. They used to have these big tubes and they would come with markers and I would just sit there and color those for hours or if it was nice outside I would sit outside and swing on my swing set and I did this all the way up until the summer before high school see not being allowed to adopt outside influences like pop culture 
and not really having a lot of friends, I didn't get to grow and mature at the same rate as my peers. And this was excusable when I was younger, but looking back on it, it was weird that I was like 13 years old and still swinging on a swing set and doing coloring books, especially considering I had spent the entire day having slurs, you know, launched at me from other kids and even sometimes threatened with physical violence. And then when I'm at church, I'm also being called a sinner. It's like I wanted to hold on dearly to the things that made me happy at any cost. So hearing this song express nursery rhymes in this way is a really accurate picture of what it felt like to keep a death grip on childhood, even though it becomes tainted and weird with the passage of time. And that has to be the only way to explain how somebody could have this much to say about a record that came out 29 years ago. It kind of takes me a while to get over things. At this point in the episode, I want to make a quick note about the song Daddy, as people will expect me to talk about it or at least address it. But I'll be honest, to try to compare something that I went through in reference to this song would be doing the song itself a pretty big disservice. And I'm not going to pretend to have experienced anything like what Jonathan describes in this song. The subject matter is so intense that I actually find it hard to sit down and listen to. And I don't feel that it's a song that was made to be enjoyed by people as entertainment. It's a purely human and artistic expression of real emotion and a reaction to a horrible situation. And I think the song absolutely speaks for itself. So instead of going on to that song, we're going to back up in the track listing to the song Divine. Divine is this quick, punchy, and in-your-face song. Lyrically, Jonathan has his teeth out on this one, and he plays the role of the aggressor. He has a deep-seated hatred against a person or a group of people, and it's aggressive but also super creepy as he describes your suffering because of me is divine. And the ending is just pure psych-up where he screams... This song has always been a guilty pleasure of mine because it describes the type of power fantasies that a battered kid would have when faced with so much opposition. It's a natural reaction to being constantly threatened and pushed down because over time, that feeling of being victimized will eventually trigger a self-defense mechanism and it can easily convert that hurting into hating. And that's exactly what happened to me eventually. The themes and songs on this album were attractive to me because Korn used words and shared experiences that validated the feelings that I also had. And it made me feel heard. It made me feel not so alone. It made me realize that it's okay to be mad. Like expressing how something makes you feel or talking about difficult things that have happened to you is not whining. And I only wish that I'd been listening to this album in real time during that period of my life, but like I said before, I didn't hear it until much later. So a lot of that hate and anger just sort of bottled up and festered in me. And I came out of it with a much more negative view of other people and really a negative view of the world than I probably should have. But bands like Korn helped validate my feelings and opened the door to much more extreme bands and extreme expressions of those types of feelings. 
But we can talk about that on another episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of DFT's Dungeon. I know this episode got a little intense in a few places, but uh, I don't know. I, I feel a lot better uh, after talking about some of this stuff. And so uh, if you guys can relate, great. If you guys want a more positive episode, don't worry. I'm sure I will have one out soon. And if you guys like the podcast, please make sure that you're subscribed to it on your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode when it comes out. If you guys want to support me on Patreon, I have a Patreon. There will be a link in the show notes to that if you feel like supporting the show financially. If you guys want to ask me questions or reach out to me or talk about episodes, make sure you're following me on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, I also have a Discord server, which is probably the quickest way to get a hold of me. There will be a link to the show notes to all of the places where you can find me. You can always send me an email at dftdungeon at gmail.com. So I hope to hear from you soon, but if I don't, that's okay too. I will see you here again next week.